Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ, always eager and never afraid to break with tradition. Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are the Organ Mavericks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Organ Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Salimovich. And I'm your other host, Rob Labinsky. This is overall episode 19, and we're now in the fourth part of the Oregon Mavericks in History series with none other than the Virgil Fox. I've been very much looking forward to this episode, and so I really can't wait for us to dive into more of uh, Virgil Fox's uh, life, his biography, and what he did to contribute to the organ world, and how Rob and I consider him as an organ maverick, and thus has changed the enjoyment of organ music as we know it to this day, and how, in some way, Virgil Fox has inspired Rob and I to do what we're currently doing today. Yes. Yeah, Virgil Fox is quite the character and has quite the impressive resume, as was we're going to find as we kind of go through his history and everything that he did. And he is he is quite the character. I, I would maybe go out on a limb and call him the first organ diva. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which 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 gets into his um, his his showmanship as an organist, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. Yep, for sure. And uh, here we're going to start off <clears throat> start off with his biography here. And uh, for reference, for reference, uh, you guys, uh, we're using the virtualfoxlegacy.com website as they do show a good amount of uh, Virgil Fox's uh, life, uh, his discography, and so many other things as well. And of course, we'll leave all of our references in the episode notes for you guys to look up, and we'll also we'll also leave a link in the episode notes to the to to a Virgil Fox playlist by uh, the Neo Press YouTube channel. So we will be leaving that there for you guys as well. And so, without further ado, let's get started here. All right. So Virgil Keel Fox Keel is in fact his middle name. That is new to me, and uh, thus might be new to several other of you who are listening to this. So, Virgil Keel Fox. Virgil Fox was born in Princeton, Illinois on May 3rd, 1912. He was a child prodigy. At the age of 10, he was playing the organ for church services. At 14, he played his first organ recital before a cheering crowd of 2,500 people in Cincinnati. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Oh, I don't wow. think I, 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 I quail before 2,500 people now, let alone at 14. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, something tells me uh, Virgil got used to, uh, he, he basically must have conquered his uh, stage fright at a young age, which I definitely... Sounds like it. <laughs> yep, indeed. Yeah, which I definitely commend him for that, uh, uh, breaking through his uh, fear of um, stage fright. Or his overall stage fright, which is really amazing to see, and how he got so used to large crowds and you know producing or and performing in performing in front of thousands of uh, people over the years, which yeah. definitely that it definitely did help him later on in his lifetime. At seventeen, he was the unanimous winner of the biennial contest of the National Federation of Music Clubs in Boston, the first organist ever chosen. Before graduating in 1930 as salutatorian of his high school class, he studied for three years with Wilhelm Mittelschult, organist of the now Organ Symphony Orchestra. In 1931, he became a scholarship student at Peabody University in Baltimore, America's oldest music conservatory. 
In his 20th year, he played five recitals from memory, completely 18... Completed 18 examinations with the highest grades in his class and became the first one-year student in history of the Peabody to graduate with the its highest honor, the Artist's Diploma. In 1936, he returned to Baltimore to head the Peabody Organ Department and to serve as organist of Brown Memorial Church. Yes. So, so there's a little bit, um, there's a little bit of a gap in there. Um, and so there's, um, you know, so after he finishes up at, um, Peabody, he actually goes to Paris in, uh, the fall of 1932 to study with, uh, Marcel Dupre at Saint-Sulpice, my favorite organist, by the way. Um, and um, I think he also did some studying with Louis Vierne. Um, and he also took, um, apparently, apparently took some lessons on the side from um, an organist known as um, Joseph Bonnet. And apparently Dupre was not pleased with this. Got him oh. in a little bit of trouble. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Vir- Virg- Virgil is known for stirring up trouble, so <laughs> apparently oh, wow. he was doing that as a young age. Um in let's see on april 26th of 1933 he made his european um, concert debut at london's kingway hall um for an audience of a little over a thousand um and then he so after after his year abroad he comes back and he makes um his uh new york debut um at the wanamaker um now that's his New York debut at the Wanamaker store's 118 rank organ. Uh, the Wanamaker I, is in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's in Philadelphia. I was just <laughs> going to say that. Oh no! Wait, wait. It says the New York Wanamaker store oh. um, was was destroyed by a fire in 1956. Okay, okay, that clears it. So apparently there was another one. <laughs> oh wow, that's new. That's new to me. Um, apparently. Yeah. So then, let's see. So in. Um, in 1934, he makes his first American concert tour, um, and let's see, yeah, and played um, considerable number of concerts throughout that year. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think ooh, if there's anything else. Where did we jump? We'll leave off. So it, yeah, it kind of jumps to jumps to 1942. Uh, let's see. Um, in 1934, he, he uh, takes a post as organist at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Um, and then, yeah, in in 35, was that was that what it said in the bio? In 35, he goes to um, Brown Memorial. Uh, 36. 36. Okay. Yeah, 36. Yeah, and then I think from there, uh, we pick everything back up. Cool. All right, so continuing from there, in 1942, he enlisted in the Army Air Force and performed 600 recitals in three years to raise money for armed services. Think about his... that number for a second. Oh, what number? Six, no, 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 600 recitals wow. in three years. It's wow. 200 a year. That's essentially one every third day. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> or no. No, that's essentially two every three days. Wow. I'm nice. trying to do mental math here. <laughs> wow. That's wow, that was a lot. He must have uh, really uh, loved to perform. Oh, he certainly did. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I think, after he, I, think those... I think he's I think he is the organ equivalent of when you got it flaunt it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I think so. Okay then. So after his discharge in 1946, Virgil Fox performed 44 major works from memory in a series of three concerts, given under the auspices of the Elizabeth Sprague Coolidge Foundation, before sold-out audiences in the Library of Congress. In the same year, he was selected to be the organist of New York City's famed Riverside Church, where he served for 19 years with W. Richard Weigley, Director of Music, until 1965. So Riverside is like the the big name in New York churches. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was it it was the post to have. So I heard a I heard a story one time um, from a classmate when I was in college. Um, that apparently their um, Riverside Church is um, close to um, Barnard College in New York City. 
And apparently there's a dormitory that I, I guess at one time, I don't know if this is still the case, but at one time there was a dormitory that was right up next to the church. And apparently Virgil liked to go practice at three in the morning. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> wow, that's dedication right there. Well, that and it would wake up all the students in the dorm. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, to give him a good alarm there. Yeah. Depending on how loud he played, though. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So, Virgil Fox became a member of the American Guild of Organists in 1946. He was presented in recital by many AGO chapters and was a featured performer at many AGO national conventions. He played three times at the White House on piano and in 1952 was chosen by the State Department to represent the United States at the first International Conference of Sacred, Mu of Sacred Music in Berlin. In Ber and in 1952 was chosen by the State Department to represent the United States at the first International Conference of Sacred Music in Bern, Switzerland. I have to say, I, I got all excited when I was reading this. I was like, he performed at the White House? There's an organ at the White House? No, he played on piano. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fine. All right. In 1963, he was awarded an honorary doctorate by Bucknell University. And in 1964, he was received the Peabody Conservatory Distinguished Alumni Award. In his long and brilliant career... Virgil Fox gave recitals on practically every important organ in the world. He was the first non-German artist to perform the works of J.S. Bach at the Thomas Thomas Kirk Thomas Kirch, I believe that is mm -hmm. Thomas Church. No, Thomas yeah. Kirch. Yeah. Thomas Kirk. Mm -hmm. Thomas Kirk. Yeah, got it. Thomas Kirk in Leipzig. Thomas Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 yeah, and this is this is this is no small accomplishment or honor um essentially i if i'm remembering correctly um you know essentially no non-germans were allowed to perform at this church or if they were allowed to perform they weren't allowed to perform box so the fact that he was he got to you know, was able to to give this concert is i mean this this is this is one of the highest honors <laughs> um you know that he could possibly receive as an organist oh wow that's pretty cool Okay, now, in 1936, he played the first paid recital on the Kilgan organ in Carnegie Hall, New York. Huh, strange. I never knew Carnegie Hall had their own uh, organ back then. Though it looks like there's some more information regarding the Carnegie Hall afterwards, which we'll get into in a moment. In 1962, he participated with E. Power Biggs and Catherine Crozer in the Inaugural concert of the Aeolian Skinner organ in New York's Philharmonic Hall, Lincoln Center. In 1963, he played the first solo recital and made the first recording of the new organ. He played recitals at Westminster, Durham, and Lincoln Cathedrals, King's College, Cambridge, Notre Dame, and St. Clotilde, Paris, or Paris. And in Marienkirch, Ubik, I believe that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Sorry if I butchered up the names here. Okay. In 1973, he played his concert as a Kennedy Center founding artist to a sold-out house in the 3,000-seat concert hall of the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Washington, D.C. He inaugurated the Rogers Carnegie Hall organ in 1974, which he had, which he had designed. In 1977, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his concert debut, he played a sold-out concert, the Bach Gamo, at Kennedy Center and in Tokyo, Japan, at NHK Hall, and performed the Joseph Jogen Symphony Concertat, Concertat with the NHK Symphony. Wow. Now this over here looks pretty... This over here was pretty new to me. I didn't really... Yeah, I didn't know... If Virgil Fox traveled uh, to Asia at all, but now, now that we are actually seeing that he actually did, that's pretty cool that he went all yep. the way to Japan. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Perhaps the most daring concert Virgil Fox ever played was at the Mecca of Rock Music, New York's Fillmore East, 
where in 1970 he gave an all Bach program combined with a light show on the Rogers touring organ. <laughs> yeah, so so let's let's take a little minute to talk about what a a feat this was. So, you know, the, the, the website calls it the Mecca of rock and roll. So I, I did a little digging onto, onto this Fillmore East, and it was kind of considered the, the, the church of rock and roll. Um, I think you might, you might make it akin to, like, Madison Square Garden today, which I realize Madison Square Garden has, has a lot more diverse acts than just rock and roll. Um, but so this was, this was a, this was a huge venue in New York for rock music from 1968 to 1971. Um, and so let me just, let me just give you a little bit of frame of reference to the type of acts that Virgil was going up against. So Jimi Hendrix, Tina Turner, Fats Domino, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Frank Zappa, The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Led Zeppelin are just a few of the acts, and I'm sure that you probably recognize more than one of those names. Oh man, not exactly names that you would put next to Bach. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things I was listening to, um. You know, he um, it was an interview with Virgil Fox, and he was talking about performing at the Fillmore. And he's like, "Oh, you know, how do you come in and you know and do this?" He's like, "You know, it it, it was a sold out audience. It was a young crowd." He said, "And by the time I got to the sixteenth encore, I had to tell him this was the last one, or we would still be there." <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! So yeah, six sixteen encores at this place that does rock and roll for a classical concert. Wow. <laughs> so I mean this just this just shows you the kind of um you know the the style that he had and his ability to connect with audiences which I think we're about to talk just a little bit more about um you know just his be able, his ability to to connect with them and you know and show them something that they haven't seen you know and make people realize oh there's more to this than I thought there was mm-hmm. you know and I have to I have to imagine the kind of people that are probably frequenting Fillmore East are probably not necessarily the people you're going to find in the pews on Sunday mornings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm not saying that they weren't. I'm just saying, I, you know, given, given that time, <laughs> given that time frame and that mm-hmm. style of music. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Okay, so he expanded upon a practice he had begun years earlier of speaking to the audience from the stage discussing the music and bringing a new dimension to his concerts. So I absolutely love this because this is something that I have done. This is a philosophy that I have had as long as I've been an organist and it is talk to the audience, you know, give them, give them background on what you're playing, you know, give them insight into what you're playing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that it really makes, you know, the concerts come alive. Cause I have been to, I've been to, I've, I've been to many organ concerts in my life and I've been to people who don't say a word between pieces. And I have seen fabulous players do concerts like this and, and the music is amazing, but there, I, I miss the personal connection when there is that, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, someone who, you know, who actually makes an effort, you know, to talk, you know, you don't have to go into, into great detail about the pieces, but I, um, I heard a concert eh, a little over a year ago. I don't remember the name of the organist. Um, but, um, you know, she, you know, she got up and she talked between the pieces and, and, and it was, it was very clear that, you know, Speaking to a crowd of people was was not her forte, um, but she did it anyway. And I said, you know, even someone who is, you know, who, you know, who is maybe a little uncertain in here, has made more of a connection to me just by making the effort to come and talk to the audience than had she just sat there and played the whole recital. And she was a fabulous player, but it just it made it so much better that she was that she was willing to talk to the audiences. So I, you know, it's it, it, it's so cool. Um that this was a, this was something I didn't know about Virgil Fox, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's something that is, you know, reflected in my own style of performing. So very very cool to see. Mhm, indeed. And it also goes to 
show how much communicating with the audience can really go a long way. I've also seen it for myself with how impactful it can be and how much communication really matters when it comes to getting the point across, especially if you want to make an impact. Well, and I've had people come up and tell me um, afterwards, you know, like, oh, you know, it was was so nice of you to talk. But, you know, this one piece that you play, you know, I really love this piece. And I never knew this thing that you said is the in the introduction. I'm like, "Mm -hmm. yep. And then you thought about it in a different way, didn't you? Um, so it's always cool to get that feedback. And I always make sure, you know, when I hear a concert where an organist speaks that I go up to them afterwards and say, thank you for talking to the audience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Indeed. For sure. Yep. Definitely. Yes. Speaking to the audience, as we said already a few times, it's definitely very important. Even, yeah, even if you're a performing organist listening uh, to this and uh, you have, um, and uh, you're not really that good with uh, speaking to people it just take the time to yeah take the time to at least practice uh, what you're going to say in the audience even if you have some stage fright it's good to practice beforehand so that uh, <clears throat> you can connect with the audiences more and heck a very simple solution to you know a very simple solution to you know getting uh, uh, conquering your fear of stage fright when uh, speaking to the audience before you perform is just be yourself be like your yeah, act like your norm. Act like your normal self when you're, you know, around your, around the friends that you may have, like that you may enjoy being around with. Like basically, have that same charisma you would have around your friends, like that exciting charisma that you may have around your friends, and share that with you know your audience so you can get that personal connection with them, and the such. Because that that alone, with the way how you communicate with them, with how passionate you are, with what, with how you. Pr- with the way that you're performing the music and how you're going to play it with uh, with the pieces that you're going to perform them and explaining to them what you're going to perform. It definitely goes a long way with making that personal connection. It does. You know, and, and, and I, one little other, one other piece of advice that I would give, because I used to be terrible at speaking. It's like, okay, yeah, I know, you know, I know this piece and I know what I want to say about it. And I would just kind of, I'm like, I can get up and wing it. I'm not good at winging it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was something that I learned. You know, I would get up there and I would be like, um, so this next piece, it, um, um, well, you know, it, um, you know, it, it's this and it's that and it's that. And what I finally learned was like, okay, write down what you want to say. And so that's and so that's what I started doing before concerts was I would write down and what it did was it allowed me to clarify it it allowed me to put it in a very concise form and then what I would simply do is I would simply print it out and go through it over and over and over again until I had it memorized and and so you know so that's that that's my recommendation you know is if you are if you are an organist and you're giving concerts and you want to you know you want to engage you know with your audience um you know and and maybe you do have that little bit of stage fright or you know maybe it's not your natural thing to speak in public um is write down what you want to say ahead of time one it'll 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 allow you to to put it in your own voice um you know and two it'll just kind of prepare you for that and there's also nothing wrong with using note cards um, you know, to, you know, if you, if you, if you want to have that little backup there, um, but I have found that immeasurably helpful in, in preparing, um, you know, when, when I, when I do my performances and, and I feel like, I feel like my speaking has gotten so much better because of it. Um, mm. every so often I will completely blank on what I was going to say. <laughs> and when that happens, I just admit it to the audience. I the last, the last concert I did, I was. I think I was on like the second to last piece and I finished, you know, and the audience applauded and I bowed and I got up and I stood there and looked at the organ, looked back at the audience. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be completely honest. I have no idea what I was supposed to say about this next piece. (laughs) (laughs) And they laughed and then, and then, you know, a little bit kind of clicked back in. And so I just picked up and went with it, but you know, be, be genuine with your audiences. Of course. Um, You know, they're 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 not there to pick on you. They're they're not they're not going to judge you if you admit that you've made a mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm, indeed. Yes, and so moving uh, forward from here, for nine years, Heavy Organ toured across the country to various cities, colleges, and festivals. 
Virgil Fox is credited with bringing the music of Bach to young people with an innovative and exciting style, although he often drew adverse criticism from some of his colleagues in the organ world and from those music critics who found his approach too flamboyant. Oh boy, we definitely do have a lot to say about this one. Yeah, so apparently Virgil Fox liked to um, rock the boat, to put it mildly, and basically laughed in the face of all his critics. <laughs> yep, which is definitely a good way to uh, laugh off any uh, any awkwardness if uh, you <clears throat> hear some uh, criticism, uh, if you happen to hear some criticism that uh, may not be too positive or there's just uh, blatantly... Uh, uh, blatantly very uh, not very accepting of that certain style that you want to play at and whatnot, but yeah. Though despite all the criticism he's been getting from his colleagues, he did attract numerous amounts of young people, which uh, that alone, with the way with his innovative and exciting style to bring young people to his concerts for classical music, that and that is that right there is all. That right there, what Virtual Fox was able to do alone with the way how he was doing that to attract young people, that amazes that right there amazes me a lot with how he was able to attract young people to it. Even though back in the back in the day in the seventies and eighties and heck, <clears throat> even in the sixties and even to these days with young people being having their uh, young people these days with their uh, musical. <clears throat> With their music preferences being, you know, um, other than classical. Yeah, that was a lot that, yeah. It was really, uh, yeah, it really amazes me how Virgil Fox was able to attract uh, younger audiences, even though they had, you know, different, in different, you know, musical tastes back in the day, which really amazes me. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it's a little bit unfortunate because the organ world has this, um, stigma around it of being, you know, very straight-laced, very highbrow, very elitist when it comes to the instrument, um, you know, and, and, and kind of tends to look down on anyone who, you know, doesn't go with the flow of what a, you know, quote-unquote classical organist should look like, um, you know, and obviously we see that in Virgil Fox. Well, we we will see it as we get more into his style in a little bit. Um, you know, he didn't he he didn't he didn't go with the flow. You know, he did his own thing, and he did. You know, he he did he he connected. He knew how to connect to audiences, um, especially young audiences, and you don't necessarily connect with um, with younger audiences in that you know strict classical style you know you look at like a symphony orchestra where they're all in tuxedos you know that's not necessarily appealing you know to kids in their teens 20s um you know and and i think that's an unfortunate thing about the organ world and i think that's probably why the instrument is struggling so much is we don't mm -hmm. have more people who are kind of pushing the limits and i yep and i say that and i'm starting to see more and more people who are you know having a a, a much more laid-back approach a much more laid-back look um you know your playing speaks for itself um you know but one of one of one of my teachers you know who was a you know well well-known organist um you know in in the u.s um and has you know has performed around the world um he wears jeans when he when he performs not not all <laughs> the time you know, but he did a concert. He wore jeans, a, a dress shirt, and a and a sport coat. And and I've kind of adopted that look for my own performing because nice. I wear jeans all the time, and I'm so much more comfortable in it. And I think it was the the first like Disney recital that I did a couple of years ago. I'm like, you know what? I'm not wearing a suit. I'm not wearing a tux. I wear jeans. I'm gonna wear jeans, and I did. And I was so much more comfortable. And it's not that I have, I don't, I don't mind wearing, you know, suits and dressing up. I, I do enjoy doing that. But it was like, this is much more like my style and what I wear day to day. And I felt so much more comfortable on the bench doing that concert dressed that way. I'm like, oh, well, I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so. Yeah, as, as you know, so all so all that is to say, you know, um, you know, the 
you know his 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 very unique approach to performing is it was really able to appeal to younger audiences and i think that is i think we need more of that in the organ world oh yeah especially nowadays for sure <laughs> all right then so with George Preta and the Paris Opera Orchestra, he made the world premiere recording of Jongen's Symphony Concertante in 1961. Beginning in the 1930s, Virgil Fox made more than 60 recordings released by Columbia, RCA Victor, Capital, Command, Reader's Digest, Crystal Clear, Heldon, and Decca Records. My goodness, those are a lot of record labels there. And those are a lot of big-name record labels, oh, too. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, that right there with him labeled labeled with those many record labels, that already tells me he was pretty much a pipe organ rock star of sorts. With the way he was able to, like, seal, seal some deals with uh, these uh, record labels here. Wow. Many have been re-released, and projects are currently underway to re-release heretofore unreleased performances. Wow, can't wait to see those. At the time of his death, he was working with Robert he, he was working with Robert Hebel on a book about organ technique. Hmm, I'm not sure if there's all I'm not sure if that already exists or if it's still uh, being made from here. I'm not sure. So, Virgil Fox's final performance took place on September 26, 1980, at the opening concert of the Dallas Symphony season. His life, which ended on October 25, 1980, following a four-year fight with cancer, was one of courage, innovation, and dedication. Funeral services were held at his home in Palm Beach, Florida, and at the Crystal Cathedral, Garden Grove, California, and a memorial service was held at the Riverside Church, New York. So it doesn't look like that um, that technique book was ever published. I, I couldn't find anything through a quick search. Hmm. Um, so uh, it looked like Robert Hebel did um, um, did publish a couple of books of um, Virgil Fox's... Um, I don't know if it was music specifically. I mean, I know there's some arrangements that he has written, um, but kind of like um, Fox's interpretation of performances... Hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it doesn't look like the technique book ever, ever made it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there wasn't enough in, the, in uh, what uh, Virgil Fox was working with Robert Hebel to complete that, but who knows? So I, I, I said, I said at the beginning of this podcast, I said, you know, Virgil Fox could maybe be considered the first organ diva. Um, so he had, he had quite the unique style when it came to, um, performing, he, um, he 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 would often wear a red satin cape um, and a beret when he would perform. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the uh, the heels of his organ shoes were studded with rhinestones. Wow! So so very flashy. Um, he 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 has act- the the comparison has actually been made that he was the Liberace of the pipe organ. Hmm. Wow. Nice. <laughs> um, and, and apparently he absolutely loved that comparison. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see here. Apparently, apparently he drove a pink Cadillac. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> something that I came across. Oh, wow. Um, you know, so yeah, he, he, he had his own style and he didn't care what anyone thought of it. Um, I came across, you know, it says something that said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, he alienated organ purists and absolutely loved every minute of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, it's kind of that, you know, I, 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 th- I think he very much had that mentality of, I'm going to be in your face. You're not going to like it, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, and I, I I think that speaks to something that, you know, Johnny, that you and I both kind of do, um, you know, with what we do is like, we're not going after you know, the, the typical organ community, we're going after people who don't know the instrument, exactly. you know, and don't know the music, um, you know, and from everything that I've read about Virgil Fox, um, that, that, that really seems like that, that was what he was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't after the traditionalists, the, the, the quote unquote purists. 
he was after, you know, the younger generation, the next generation of organists, you know, people who maybe had never heard it before. Or, you know, you know, I get comments every so often. It's like, I didn't know the pipe organ could sound like that. Hmm. You know, because you get a lot of these smaller churches, you know, and you have these, you know, amateur organists. I don't I don't, I don't mean that in like a, you know, full, you know, amateur organist. Yeah, in a condescending way, um, no. You know, but, but, you know, but people who, you know, don't have, you know, extensive or professional training on the instrument, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it can be, it, it can certainly be a dirge-like instrument, um, you know, if, if, if you don't have the proper training on it. And... You know, and so, you know, he went out there and, you know, and said, hey, you know, listen to this. And, oh, you know what? Let's do, let's have, you know, let's have the smoke machine going and let's get the, you know, the, the lights going and all of that. And oh, what else was it? Was it like fireworks or lasers or something? I don't oh, know. Wow. <laughs> you know, but this were, I mean, things that you would see at a rock concert. And this is what he's doing because he knew how to appeal to, um, you know, he he knew what audiences wanted and he gave mm-hmm. it to them. It's like, yep. okay, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, here here's an entirely Bach concert. In the way that you would expect a rock and roll concert to look. Mm-hmm. And when it looks like what you want it to look like, you're much more willing to listen to what's there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jenny, you you had sent me a video um about um and I and I don't remember the guy's name that did it, you know. But basically, like, was able to play, um, the um, was able to play the organ, you know, through a computer. Um, oh yeah, that's you know right. Uh, Rob Scallon. Right? Rob Scallon yeah, yeah, is yeah. his name. Yep. You know, and so what did he play? He played like something that was like heavy metal, and he's like, "Tell me that heavy metal is essentially Bach." So he takes this piece, you know, he puts it into the MIDI, he runs it through the computer, and it plays on this organ. And had you not told me that this was a heavy metal piece of music, I would have I would have sworn that it was Bach, you know, oh, wow. or certainly something out of the Baroque era. And I'm like, it's interesting. It's so interesting to hear the parallels out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, indeed. You know, and you just you know you put it on a different instrument. And it's like, oh hey, that's what that sounds like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, so, you know, so we, we talked before about, um, you know, how he talked to his audiences. And he talked to his audiences from the stage, but he also talked with his audiences. Obviously, he was, you know, he, he's drawing these massive, massive crowds to his recitals. He would go and he would spend literally hours after his concerts greeting his fans and talking with them Um and I think I read somewhere like he loved signing autographs and he just he just so enjoyed, you know, meeting with people and spending time with them, um, you know, and he just, you know, he didn't care. He would go and he would spend, you know, you know, maybe he performed for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours and then would go spend three or four hours talking to people afterwards, Wow. Um, you know, and. And it, and it's just so cool because you know it's someone who has this I mean this absolute amazing talent you know as we said I think you know you know he was a he was a child prodigy on the instrument um, you know and uh, we we talked about Wilhelm Mittelschult um, you know as his 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 first teacher and Mittelschult wrote a pedal solo for him this this piece is insane oh wow <laughs> <laughs> I've played it. I haven't gotten to a fraction of the speed that Virgil Fox played it at. Um, wow. But, you know, I mean, so he was this masterful musician. But he wasn't above, you know, he didn't think of himself as above the people who came to hear him. You know, he went and he talked to them. And I'm sure he had an ego. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I have no doubt of that. Um, you know, I, I, I think he was very much, you know, he, he knew he was, he knew how good he was. Um, you know, but he just, he just had so much fun doing it and, you know, and, and loved connecting with his audiences. And it's, and, and it's you know, it, it's so cool to see someone doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, wasn't there an interesting story that you wanted to share as well? Uh, yes. So, um, so this came from this. This came from my first organ teacher, um, and I I don't remember if he had experienced this firsthand or if this was something that had happened, um, 
previously and was told to him. So it, it, it might be a couple layers removed. So you'll have, you'll have to take this with a, with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we talked earlier about how Virgil Fox performed all over the country. Um, performed in I think just about every chapter of the American Guild of Organists um, in the country, which included bringing him to Pittsburgh, my hometown. And apparently he gave a recital um, in the church that I grew up in. Now this was obviously long before I was born. Um, but um, so yes, yeah, so apparently he um, you know he's in Pittsburgh and this is his first time in Pittsburgh. And if you've never been to Pittsburgh, if you're not familiar with the city, there's a lot of hills. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, You know, I grew up in a town called Mount Lebanon, and that was not a misnomer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, You know, so apparently, you know, Virgil Fox was not familiar, you know, with, you know, with, 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 um, you know, hilly areas of the country. And so apparently, you know, he went to dinner, I think, was it? I don't know if you're from Pittsburgh. I, th- I think if I understand correctly, he, he went to dinner someplace on Mount Washington, um, which is this this kind of ridge that overlooks the city on one side of the rivers. Um, apparently parked his car and after dinner found it at the bottom of the hill. Ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. He was, yeah, apparently, he... apparently forgot the parking brake. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do you remember if his car was uh, totally damaged or was it fine? I, I don't know that part of it. Ah. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, well. Yes. If you park on a hill, people, if you've never been to Pittsburgh, when you park on a hill, use use the parking brake. <laughs> yep. Okay, so, uh, yes, yeah, since we have mentioned earlier that uh, Virgil Fox has done so many recordings, there's a lot that we could mention on here. Though, for now, for the sake of time, we may just mention a few of his highlights. And uh, would you happen to have any highlights? Um, you put me on the spot, aren't you? Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. That's fine. Yeah, because uh, I'm not let's sure. Let's see here. So let's see. So I think one of the ones we talked about was the um, nope. That was a Kilgan, not a Kimball. The one in Carnegie Hall. Oh, uh, the it, Rogers, the Rogers touring organ, or the one no, before that? No, 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 no. The um, the one that he premiered in Carnegie Hall. Uh, in the seventies. New. No. Yeah, that was much um, earlier then. Where was that? Da, 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 da. Oh, it was the Rogers. Never mind. Yeah, the Rogers no. in the seventies. Yeah. Oh, and apparently, yeah, there was a Kilgan organ at Carnegie Hall, and then afterwards, later on, it was replaced with a Rogers organ. Yeah. Afterwards, I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. He um, he's done the the Brahms eleven chorale preludes. Um, these are the the last eleven pieces that Brahms wrote. Um, in his life, there was a set of of chorale preludes, all based on um, various different hymn tunes. Uh, very, very, very famous in organ circles, and so he um, he recorded those. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see. I mean, he did a number of Bach recordings. Um, obviously, you know Bach was Bach was a specialty of him. Um, a number of recordings um, on the Alien Skinner at Riverside. Um, mm-hmm. let's see here. Um, he did, he has a, there's a Christmas album that he did. Um, he did, uh, music from France. This includes some Durafle, um, Louis Vierne, um, uh, Cesar Franck, Marcel Dupre. Um, oh, the Prelude and Fugue in G minor. One of my favorite pieces. Um, yeah, no, um, obviously we talked about the, the Joseph Jongen, um, symphony concertat that he recorded in Paris. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. I'm trying to see. I wonder if he recorded the complete works of Bach. I know he's done a number of Bach. Hmm. Um, I don't know. He has a greatest hits album. Oh wow! And the, and, and the cover that I'm seeing is him in a baseball uniform. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> nice. He he had style of his own. That's for sure. Um, he's done a uh, he did a recording on the Wanamaker in Philadelphia. Yep. Um, oh yeah, he even had his own uh, album of uh, the heavy or- of his heavy organ tour known as the Bach Live at Winterland. That's one of his as well. Yes. Uh huh. Um, I see. He has this one here, Virgil Fox into the classics, um, and these look like um, these look like these are all arrangements 
Um, I can't tell. I know some of them are are marked here as arranged by um, certain people, but that, that's that's one thing that actually didn't come up in the bio was he did um, he did a ton of arranging for the organ. He would take pieces, you know, that were not. Um, you know, that were not organ pieces, you know, that were chamber music, orchestral music, um, oratorios, and, and arrange them for organ. The, the one that I think of is, um, Bach has a, um, a chorale on, um, Now Thank We All Our God, and it is this, it's this huge celebratory thing. Um, I, it's, I, I know that it's, it's based on a, on a choral piece. Um, he arranged it for organ. Um, and... Yeah, and so and I mean he and he's, he's a lot of he's done a lot of arrangements. Mm-hmm, um, yes, and uh, one of his um, most notable arrangements that I know of by far is his uh, own arrangement of uh, the uh, of the American national anthem. Uh, the, yes, the Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing here his he has one called the Entertainer Virgil Fox at the Mighty Wichita Wurlitzer. So I'm guessing oh, yeah. this is a, a Wurlitzer theater organ. Oh, and, yeah. um, and so I, I'm looking at, you know, at this one and he did, you know, he did his star spangled banner. Hail, hail. The gang's all here by Arthur Sullivan. Um, the entertainer by Scott Joplin, Joplin, not Joplin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maple leaf rag, the, and then the Ives variations on America, pomp and circumstances and box jig fugue. Um, which I think that was kind of one of Virgil's specialty pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, to comment uh, <clears throat> about his uh, overall music in general before we uh, conclude, there's a certain section on the on the Wikipedia article of uh, Virgil Fox I've been wanting to read for uh, <clears throat> this episode uh, here. I'm going to read specific parts of it, starting uh, uh, mainly from the music section of this article, which is, Always Fox stressed pushing the limits of the instruments available to him rather than requiring that they or his playing be authentic to the era of the music. His style, particularly his taste for fast tempos, intricate registrations, and a willingness to indulge in sentimentality (laughs) was in contrast to that of his contemporaries such as E. Power Biggs. Many yeah, organ- those two yeah. apparently had quite the rivalry. <laughs> oh, man. And then skipping a little forward in that, many organists, um, skipping from his uh, musical memory, performing a lot of concerts and the such, many organists, however, have criticized Fox for his unconventional interpretations of classical organ music. <laughs> On his album, Heavy Organ, Bach Life in Winterland, Fox defended his approach to Bach and organ music in general. In the introduction of the ubiquitous Toccata and Fugue in D minor, BWV 565, by Johannes Sebastian Bach or G.S. Bach, Virgil always spoke to his audiences about Bach's reason for his compositions being his belief in Jesus and everlasting life whenever he performed his music. And he made a very uh, profounding quote here that I'm going to read here. <clears throat> Quoting Virgil Fox here. There is current... There is current in our land and several European countries at this moment a kind of nitpicking worship of historic impotence. They say that Bach was Bach must not be interpreted and that he must not he must have no emotion, that his notes speak for themselves. You want to know what that is? Pure undult, pure unadulterated rot. Bach <laughs> has the red blood. He has the communion with the people. He has all of this amazing spirit. This amazing spirit, my bad. And imagine that you could put all the music on one side of the agenda with his great interpretation and great feeling and put the greatest man of all up right up on the top of a dusty shelf underneath some glass case in a museum and say that he must not be interpreted. <laughs> they're full they're full of you know what and they're so untalented that they have to hide behind this thing because they couldn't get in the house of music any other way end quote 
Why do well, I have the feeling he didn't say you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, but that was apparently uh, one of the quotes that I've uh, the quotes that I found <laughs> yeah. here. But yeah, I found that pretty profound. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I think you know, with everything we've talked about, you know, it 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 shouldn't come as a surprise that he is not a traditionalist when it comes to registration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's all he's all about pushing pushing the instruments the instrument to its extremes, um, and exploring everything that's possible. Yep. And I know that that's 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 been a theme. That's something that we have talked about on this podcast before. Um, you know, this idea of, you know, performance practice versus personal interpretation. Um, and of course I fall on the side of personal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep, indeed. And so to conclude uh, with this uh, pretty exciting episode uh, about Virgil Fox, we can safely say without a doubt Virgil Fox is most definitely an organ maverick on our books, especially Absolutely. with yeah, especially <laughs> with what he has done. Despite uh, despite how many people he must have uh, infumed with anger, he has he still uh, he still did what he loved to do and uh, proved many people wrong when it comes to making the uh, organ as re- as relevant as possible, even moving forward in the future. And it's it's also ex- Exactly one of one of the things that Rob and I are doing, and we definitely do have Virgil Fox to thank for inspiring us to yeah. do what we love to do here, especially to keep the art of organ music alive for generations to come. Yeah. And so, fellow Mavericks, that about wraps it up for this episode. Before we go, we're we want to remind you that we do have our own Twitter account, so you can fall so you can follow us on there, so you can get the updates as to. Uh, when when we release new episodes moving forward and also releasing updates uh, with uh, the episodes production that's going on and basically the behind the scenes and the such. So please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Organ Podcast. I repeat, it is at Organ Podcast, spelling O-R-G-A-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It's, it couldn't get more simple, simpler than that. Again, it is at Organ Podcast that you'll find us on Twitter with that Twitter handle. And if and if Twitter is not a a long enough medium for you to communicate with us, we also have an email, and we would love to hear from you, Mavericks. There, our email is organmavericks at gmail We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. If you have any questions for us, any topics that you'd like to hear in future episodes, we would we would definitely be interested in hearing that feedback from you as well. So again, you know, you can you can. You can tweet at us, and you can email us as well. Yes, and also give us any uh, suggestions as to who you would like us to have as guests on the podcast, because we would love to have guests on the. We would love to have uh, guests on the show uh, soon. We don't know how soon we'll get it there, but we would love to hear from you. Who would you like us to have on our podcast as guests and as such? And so. Without further ado, fellow Mavericks, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.